ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. I'm Scott Prather. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. And as promised, joining me now, friend of the program, um, hadn't talked to him in a couple of years on the show. You don't hear him do a ton of interviews, but that's because he's he's busy working on his craft post-football career. But the greatest screen running back of all time and the honorary godfather to my youngest child, that'd be Mr. Pierre Thomas, Saints running back, Hall of Famer. Pierre, man, good morning. How's life? Uh, good morning. Life is great. Life is beautiful. It's a blessing. So uh, what's, your, uh, what's your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? I would have to say you got to fight for your right to party. That's right. Know? So go with the old classic. Go ahead. I said you just go with the old classic. Oh, yeah, you definitely, you know what I mean? These guys, they want to enjoy themselves, man, and everybody has a right to, you know, celebrate the way they want to celebrate, you know, as long as it's, you know, safe and, uh, you know, not harming to others, but, you know, let them do what they got to do. That's his life. It's like when you'd get in the end zone, oh, man, you would, you would just celebrate. You'd do, like, the swag, surf, or, like, what was, what was your favorite go-to <laughs> celebration whenever you got six? I mean... You know, nowadays the guys get to do that. They get to celebrate. But when I was playing, we had to be limited on certain celebrations because you get flagged. And when I did my little flag, uh, swag surfing, as you mentioned, I got penalized for that. Uh, only reason I got penalized for that is because Jeremy Shockey was kind of close to me, and he did something else of uh, shaking his hand like he was rolling the dice or something. Yeah. And then I didn't know what he was doing. He was looking at me like, come on, do the same thing. And I'm like, all right, I did what he did, and just we kind of gave each other a low five. And I got penalized just for that. When I was doing my own dance, I was trying to fight. I was trying to fight this off with the NFL, but they weren't trying to have it. So Shockey, Shockey was a guy that could just get get other players fine, even whenever he was just trying to have fun, just like inadvertently, like man, I'm just rolling dice here, and the guy gets fined because of me. It's just like we just talked about earlier with the Beastie Boys. We just want to party. You know what I mean? Why couldn't we party out there for a celebration, but you guys want to find us for partying? Well, uh, Pierre Thomas, our guest, man, it's great to have you back on the show. And, um, you know, before we get started, got to ask you, you know, is your mom still keeping you humble, telling you you ain't shit? <laughs> uh, yeah, she's definitely keeping me humble. I'll tell you that. Uh, the, the, she, she cooled out on the ain't shit part. Uh, <laughs> no, but she, she's definitely keeping me humble. Uh, I mean, my mom, she's been there through thick and thin. I mean, she's like my biggest motivator. She pushed me to constantly keep fighting and also let me know that, you know, there's people out there better than you, but you can also, you know, work to be better than them, but you have to put in the work. But, you know, she, she kind of jokingly said it, you know, when I when I mentioned the the ain't shit part. That's how she jokingly said it, and that and and for her to do that, and just like the, the like the lifestyle, everybody grows up in a totally different lifestyle. You know, everybody grows up different in their in their own home, and you know, for her to say that because she's a single mother trying to raise a son, she's trying to show me that she that we can be friends, and you know, when when it was a, a perfect time for me to use. Uh, you know, cursed language, you know, she, she let me, she said, I can't do it until I'm an adult. And, you know, when I finally got became an adult, she, you know, she started, you know, using it in a joking manner as friends do with each other. And I appreciate her doing that because when you're in these streets, it's a difference between being raised in a home and being raised in the streets. Most people know that. And, you know, the certain languages being used in the streets are totally different, can, can be different from your home. And she's showing me that she can be 
you know, from, like, she can raise me from both sides, showing me certain things of how the streets go and how things are in the streets and how she wants things to be done in her household. And she tells me how to, you know, how to be as a, a human being in this world. And I just appreciate her just being real and raw at the same time because the outside world isn't pretty. And you can't always be pretty inside the home and the outside world is not like that. So you have to kind of instruct Instruct like that outside world into your home. And gotcha. Let your kids know like what you're kind of going to run into, but you know, you, you got to be you got to know how to maneuver and how to portray it and how to you know work with it. Yes, so I, I mean I appreciate her and her ways. Knowing this, you know, unexpected is not the norm for most people, but I appreciate everything she did for me. Pierre Thomas, our guest, ESPN 1420. Yeah, you know, the way she did it, it was that loving way the guys might bust each other's chops, you know, the way they talk to each other, a group of friends. Yeah, and she's a woman trying to take care of a son, uh, you know, her, a, a boy. So it's she's trying to learn how to do that. Knowing she's not a man, so she, I appreciate her effort. <laughs> you know, we, we talked last time you were on so much just about your, your football journey. And, we, you know, I we don't need to, to, to rehash the whole story and – it's available on our, our podcast page for folks that might want to go back and hear it. I might repost today just for folks that didn't because it really is a remarkable journey. Um, but, you know, just thinking back, you mentioned, you know, in the streets that you grew up in Chicago, I believe on the south side of Chicago. What is, um, you know, what, what was life like then? What was what were sports like in that world? Because I know you also play baseball, but what was life kind of like on your end growing up? Like you said, people grow up in different places. I've I've been to Chicago once or twice. I don't really know about it. It's on the news a lot, but I mean, Pierre, you know how it is. You you end up in New Orleans, and you you when you live there, I'm sure you saw all kind of different parts of New Orleans, right? So, for the part of Chicago where you grew up, what was that like, and what were sports like in that area? Well, uh, I grew up on the south suburbs of Chicago uh, mainly, but I started off in the city. That's you know where you get mostly your crime at, as in the uh, south. South City of Chicago, uh, like on 79th um, of Stony. I you see a lot of more violence and you know crime, criminal acts out you know in that area. But in the suburbs where I grew up, it wasn't as much. Not to say there wasn't any at all, but there wasn't as bad as the city. Now where I grew up, I mean it, it was a small little neighborhood, small village called Linwood. And I mean you had your you had a park. It's it a nice couple of nice homes, you know great community, but you had your bad areas as well. I lived, we lived in a, uh, my mom owned an apartment building in Linwood, and that was considered, if you want to say, in that area, if you, I would say the projects, but it really wasn't a project area. She, she owned her building, four-unit building. Uh, she was the landlord, and she had her tenants. But, you know, in that area, that it was kind of bad. I mean, you just had bad people, not great, you know, role models in the area. There were some people, you know, selling drugs, and, um, you know, causing trouble in the area. So it, it, it wasn't pretty, but it wasn't that bad. It, it could have been – I've seen places that it was way worse. But, I mean, sports-wise, we didn't have any too many big role models in my area. You know, you, I was introduced to sports, you know, by my mother and my father um, when I was young. You know, T-ball was my first thing that I, I saw kids playing, and I said, I want to do that. And they bought me, you know, the, the whole setup. And they saw that as soon as they gave it to me, they saw it hit the ball. They was like, oh, my God, we got to sign him up. 
And, uh, you know, that was my first love, as you mentioned. Baseball was my first love, and I was really good at it. And, you know, that's where I kind of, you know, gravitated to was just sports. And then I found football. Um, I always played football in the backyard with friends, but I didn't know about organization football until I saw the movie Little Giants. I talked about this story as well in a couple of interviews in my past. Uh, that movie got me actually motivated to play football. I was like, wait, they got organized football here somewhere? Like, where, where is that around here where I live? And then just one day uh, in the backyard, me playing with my friends, uh, one of the kids' fathers was there, a new kid that joined us. Uh, his father was one of the coaches of the organized football, and that's how my football career started. Um, but there was not too many role models. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, I don't want to. I would. I mean, there were gangs out there, and there was like a lot of people who would put you in the wrong path if you allow it. But my mother, she was always by my side, and she always kept me, my faith, into sports. She always took when she got off of work, she'd take me straight to practice, or she'd make sure I'm at practice if she can't make it back on time. And she comes up there, and she she come pick me up every time. And uh, you know, she bought me a bike so I can ride my bike to the park. Uh, was not too far from where we stayed, and that was my way. And she always come to the practice or come to the games. She was always there, you know, making sure I was there and also rooting me on. Pierre Thomas, our guest, ESPN 1420. I'm Scott Prather. You know, in your pro career, there were a lot of a lot of injuries you played through, uh, Pierre. The, the NFC Championship game against Minnesota, you were – I mean, the team gave you the game ball after that game. You had so many big moments in that game, um, you know, especially late, right, the first down that eventually set up the game-winning field goal, the kick return. But you were playing through an injury there. You, you, you spoke to me once about a game you played after you had maybe suffered a bad cut when your dog got out and you were chasing him. I mean, you, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of get, I would guess, and you could speak to this, at a young age when you start playing football, like, how bad does an injury have to be to really just keep you off the field when you're not thinking about, at a young age anyway, when you're playing in, in Chicago, you're not thinking about contracts or what the coach might say or trainer. You just no. you just want to play. And so it's kind of embedded in you at an early age, right? Like, just get me back out on the field? Well, yeah, as a as a player, and I, was, I, I think all players can you know, confirm this, as a player, you, you don't want to sit down. You don't want to sit out. You know, you want to be out there playing with your, with your teammates, your friends. Um, you, you just have that in you, that, that, that mental mindset is like, yo, I'm not, I'm, I can't sit down. I can't let my guys down. I got to be out there and I got to perform. But you also, and I mean, at a young age, like you mentioned, that's how, that's where your mindset is. And, yes, it's, it's kind of programmed into you. You know, if you can go, go. And but you also have to be mindful. If the injury is serious, you have to take a step back. Um, I remember in high school, I think this was my yeah, this was my freshman year when I uh, transferred to TF South from Mount Carmel. Um, my sophomore year, I was playing varsity, and this was towards the end of the season. I broke my wrist uh, a game before the playoff, and. It, it hurt me. Like, I was upset. Um, I was crying. I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I, I was just mad at myself, but also that I could you know, just mad at myself because I couldn't go out there and perform and help my teammates. And 
the next game, you know, I'm in the cast, I'm on the sideline, I'm watching these guys, and it just hurt me to watch them play, and I wasn't, I wasn't out there in the field to help my teammates out, and it, it just put me down, but I didn't give up. I, you know, I got better, I got healthy, and I got back out on the field the next year, and, you know, I, I did a good job, but just sitting back at a young age, it really hurt me so much that I couldn't be out there, but I knew I couldn't do anything because, you know, I just, I broke, a, I broke my wrist. But fast forward to the pros, I mean, that's a whole different story because now, you know, it's a, it's a business. It's not more just you going out there having fun, but even though you still have that, in, that, that warrior mentality where you want to be out there no matter what kind of cuts or bruises you have, you're going to go out there and you're going to fight through it. Because look at so many greats, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, you know, you got Allen Iris, you got all these dudes who some people played with injuries. They played through it. You know, that shows you. You know, I, I've seen, you know, Drew play through some injuries. I've seen Tom Brady. I've seen, you know, Donovan McNabb. I've seen a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of running backs, a lot of people, a lot of athletes just play through injuries, and that's the mentality we all kind of have. We want to be out there and want to play. But when you, when you talk about the pros, it's a little different story because at this point, you're not out there on that field, you can be kind of be prepared for your exit out the league. Because if you're not out there on that field and producing, you know, even though it's a business, they're gonna look at it like, well, what are we what are we doing here? Like we can't hold on we can't hold on to you if you're hurt. Which is understandable. You gotta be you know, it's, it's, you know it's a business as an athlete and you know you have to try your best to not get hurt, but I mean it's a physical sport. But you have to be smart enough to know, like, when not to go out there. That's the only thing. You have to know when not to go out there on that field because if you're really hurt, if you go out there on that field and knowing you're really hurt, you're just going to make it worse and you possibly could end your career. Pierre Thomas, our guest, we're going we're gonna to tackle that a little bit more. What fans and the public may or may not know most of the time when it comes to injuries, playing through them and walking that fine line of, the best ability is availability, and at the same time, the big picture of knowing what might lie ahead in your career. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll be right back. I'm Scott Prather. It's the great Scott Show. Pierre Thomas, New Orleans Saints Hall of Famer, our guest. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back into the great Scott Show, the great sports callers open think tank. He uh, won a Super Bowl with the New Orleans Saints. Never forget him and the team in that locker room after the game. Pierre Thomas was uh, kind of shaking, just overwhelmed with the moment. It was an incredible one for the Saints and, uh, to this point, the highest moment in the team's history. But for Pierre, you know, career-wise, Pierre, getting getting back into the injury and, and how pro athletes deal with it in just a moment um, – what is the Super Bowl? Is that I mean, is that a is that a dumb question? I'm, I may I maybe I shouldn't even ask it, but is that like the highlight? Is that the the the, the top point of your entire career? There's no dumb question. That was a great question. Um, yeah, the reason why is because since I was in a, um, you want to say it wasn't Pee Wee. I guess which I can't I can't remember what you call. I think it was widget level or whatever. When I first started playing football, it was like the first time I won a championship, and that was I think right before grammar school, right before high school. Um, I was with the Lancet Lions, and it was my first year, and we won um, 
the championship. And that was the first time I ever won a championship when I was a young kid. And then throughout my career, high school, college, I never won before. And then fast forward to the pros, my third year in, you know, I'm holding a trophy and that at the highest level of this sport. So when you look back on your journey, when I look back on my journey and I got to this point, and after hearing the criticism and people telling you you're, you can't make it or you're not strong enough, you're not fast enough, you can't do this, you're not athletic enough or big enough, and, it, and then now you're here and you contribute so much, I mean, yeah. I mean, words can't really express that feeling. It's, you, you feel like you're on top of the world. You feel like so much weight was lifted off you and that you also notice and proven to yourself that anything is possible if you believe and put your mind to it. And that goes to, and that goes really with any business, anything that you're into. doesn't matter what field that you're in. Once you make it and you put so much work in, and it's going to take time. It's going to be a hard fight. But when you get there, it is, it's like all, that thing, all the things that you went through. You're finally here, and it's amazing feeling. ESPN fourteen twenty. You know that that season is uh, one that folks remember well. Your role in it, um, the games you had. You know, it's it's funny how uh, looking at the 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 cuts this week and players just not quite making it, and some might latch on with another team. Some may never play again. But I always laugh thinking about how Pierre Thomas didn't realize that they only called to tell you you got cut. They didn't call to tell you you made the team. So you were, you were packing yeah. up to leave, and, and then you're like, I guess I'm driving back to Chicago. Let's see what happens next. Like, no, man, you're on the team. So I, um, I, I, still, I still laugh about that. But, you know, from, from that point on, Pierre, you know, you carved out a role with the Saints, and, um, you know, there were injuries here and there. But, you know, last time we talked, I, I asked you about that 2010 one that, just from the outside, and I, I look being in this business, I might pay a little bit more attention to an injury other than like say the common fan that's just kind of reading in on the ticker or reading was reported. The whole thing just felt weird. Um, it was like this injury that wouldn't go away, and then Jay Glazer was reporting things that Sean Payton was upset you weren't coming back soon, and I'm like this guy thinking about all the, the injuries you had played through already in your career. I'm like, that doesn't really hold up. Plus, you know, you, you look at it being a contract year and you being a UDFA, it, the, the whole thing was weird. And you look for those that might've missed the, the interview we did a few years ago, just kind of, I know, for, I, I know that as a player was a really difficult situation, but can you give, I guess, just a quick recap for our listeners of kind of what exactly went down at that point in time? Yeah, I have no no problem with that. Um, so, leading up to that year, I mean, I've had several injuries. I dislocated my wrist in 2008. I guess that was with the Lions. Um, and I got surgery on that, and my wrist is still not that well. Um, but I dislocated that. I kept playing in that game as well. I fought through it. Uh, even with a dislocated wrist, I just wrapped it up. So, and um, I cracked, or it was like a hairline fracture, uh, one of my ribs that season as well. And then was leading into Super Bowl season, 
09, a lot of people don't really know this. I and during the whole playoffs, I had two cracked ribs, two hairline fracture cracked ribs. And at any given point, if I would have got hit wrong, and it was on my left side, <clears throat> my ribs could have completely broke apart and probably punctured the lung. But that's what I was saying earlier about that mentality in you as a player. You don't want to give up. And this is especially a time for me when we have an unbelievable team and we're on a Super Bowl run. And it's like, I can't sit down at this moment. Even though I have these hairline fracture ribs that can basically break apart, the doctor told me this at any given time. So that's a choice between myself. Like, do I really want to be out here and helping my team, knowing I can probably crack my ribs and puncture a lung and possibly die? Or do I, you know, do I keep playing and try to be as safe as I can? I, I took the gamble of trying to, you know, play on these ribs, which, I'm, you know, I, I thank God that, you know, he didn't allow it to fully break. Um, but it's just I've showed them time and time um, that I can take pain. I showed them time and time that I can go through injuries and keep fighting through it. But in 2010, really hurt me because when I told them, and I mean, guys on the team out there on the field, we're playing against Atlanta. This was in the beginning of the season, third game, I believe. I heard it pop. I'm standing straight up, and two guys, two big guys, my offensive lineman, Jermon, push down a defensive guy right on my ankle. I'm standing straight up, and my ankle is flat on the ground. And and actually, Curtis, Curtis can tell you, because he was right there. Because I know, I know Curtis, when he was playing against Curtis, when he was with Atlanta, because Curtis loved to talk. Curtis uh, loved to, yeah. But Curtis was, Curtis was like, oh, he's hurt, he's hurt, I heard that. You hear a loud pop. I felt it, I'm screaming, I'm down on the ground. And, you know, my drilling is going because I am a warrior. I'm a fighter. My drilling is going. I'm like, no, I'm not going to stop this. Like, it hurts, but I can fight through pain. I showed them plenty of times that I can fight through pain. I even went back out there that same game, wrapped it. I told you, yo, just wrap it up, wrap it up. And I'm like, it hurts, but just wrap it up. And they did. They spatted me, wrapped me up. And I also think I got fine because Mikey said you can't spat your shoe, but it that's a different story. <laughs> but I went back out there, and, you know, I played a little bit until they saw me on one play, and I remember everything. It was a swing play out to the left, and this is my left ankle. Um, I catch the ball, and I run for a good 20, 30 yards. And as I'm running, everybody on the sideline noticed that I was limping the whole entire time. I'm not thinking about me limping. I'm thinking about trying to get a touchdown and trying to get as many yards as I can before somebody come and tackle me trying to think about it and you know that was it when they saw that that was it for me and then you know the, as the week went on as the weeks went on they, I mean they kept asking me how you feeling how you feel I'm like are you serious like you see my ankle it's different colors it's swollen I'm on crutches and I can't I can't move I can't run and this was this where I got uh, really upset and I lost I'm not going to say a lot of respect, but I, I, lost, had, I did lose some respect of, from Sean. Um, that following week after we played Atlanta, and I was hurt the next day, I, I'm coming in for treatment in the morning, and I'm limping. And 
I mean, I'm pretty sure they don't want me saying this to you, but I, I, I mean, it's the truth, and I'm, 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 not, I'm no longer in that field. And I, mean, I still love that organization. The organization is a great organization. I'm not trying to put anybody down, but, you know, everybody has their mistakes. And this was a mistake, but Sean did correct them himself last year. He did apologize and everything, but this, this was last year, not during the time. And um, it was, he, he told the head trainer, Dottie, um, to come get me. And I was in a training room. And I was like, wait, what? He was like, yeah, Sean, I want you out there on practice. And this is the next week. We're, and they're going to play, we're going to play Carolina. I'm like, like, Scotty, I can't walk. I'm on crutches. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, man, you tell the head coach that. And I said, what? And he leaves the room. And I'm just like, what in the world is going on? So I'm sitting here. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. I said, if I don't get up, I probably need to pack my bags and go home. But if I do, like, I'm probably going to just mess my ankle up even more going out there. So I went to my locker. I decided to get, get dressed. I get go to my locker, take my crutches. I can't take my crutches out on the field because that's where the media is. So I'm, uh, I'm putting on my equipment, and I didn't, I didn't get tape or nothing. No tape. My ankle was swollen. I put on my some some uh, stat that I had in my locker at the time to try to give myself enough support. And I go out there. I put on my equipment. I go out there on the field, and I'm walking. And I'm limping bad. And I I see the media out there, and you know he has me. You know he said, "Hey, I just want you to be out here." Well, he didn't. I didn't talk to nobody. And I just go over to where the running backs are, and I'm just like, yo, I don't even know what I'm doing out here. Because the coach looked at me, my position coach looked at me, what are you doing here? And I'm just like, that's a good question. He was like, all right, you just, just stand here. Don't do anything. So I'm just standing, watching everybody go through practice. And, you know, as a couple of periods go by, uh, we're now together as a team, offense, defense. Um, offense up is up. And next year, and then the plays are being called, and, you know, guys are going in and, you know, my position coach said, just, just hang back. You're not going in. I'm not putting you in. And it makes you know Sean said, Pierre, get, get in. And I, my jaw drops. I'm like, wait, what? He's like, get in the huddle. Get in the play. And I'm looking around like, he's got to be joking. Like, I'm getting pumped right now. Like, this can't be serious. And he said, I said, like, he was like, yo, I said, get in. So I, I'm all to the huddle. I'm walking the huddle. Drew's like, hey, don't do too much. But you know, I just, I just need you to flare out to the side. So, and he's talking about to the left side, which is my bad ankle. And I looked at Drew. I said, yeah, this ain't going to look pretty. <clears throat> and I said, I can't believe this is happening. And as soon as the ball was hiked, I took one step and I fell. Like, I tried to jog, and I landed on my left ankle, and I fell. Fell to my knees. I got up, took my helmet off, and I threw it, and I walked to the locker room. I hear, as I'm walking, walking out of the end door, I hear them calling my name. I did not turn around. I did not say anything. I just walked out the end door and went right into my locker room. Now, this is exclusive because none, and this story hasn't been out. And um, they can't, like, I thought to me, like, I, at that point since I did that, I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm no longer a saint. I think that's when they're going to cut me and let me go because I walked out. The head coaches, he was yelling my name, and I didn't care because this was some bullshit in the first place of me being out here when my ankle is messed up and they I told them I heard something pop and it looks it looked it's different colors and it's swollen. Even the head 
trainer knew that I wasn't right to perform, but he was too scared to talk to the head coach. So all of that happening really pissed me off. And as the season went on, as the games went on, stories are being told left and right that, oh, that I can or that he's faking it and he's out. Like, we don't know. We want him to get back out here, but he doesn't want to be out here. I couldn't run. I could not run. I had torn ligaments. Nothing was broke. But when after this, when I, after the season, I tried to get back out there. I got a chance to play again because the pain started to go down. So after that 10 weeks, you know, I gained some type of strength, but I still had pain. I, it wasn't gone. My ligaments and my tendons were torn, completely torn, but the pain, you know, decreased. And I finished three games of that season. Mm-hmm. So I had a pl- uh, total of six games I played, and I got credited for that year because uh, my agent actually told me, he said, like, hey, Pierre, you want this, if you want to get paid <laughs> – you had a crude season, games. right, like, thinking of like, uh, yeah. long-term and, and, yeah, the pinch it and all that, right. Exactly. And he's like, if you want this to count as a credit season, you got to play these, like, three more games. And Gosh. that's when I sucked it up. It was like, forget it, I'm going to play the last three games as much. Or I think it was like the four games left in December, and I played three, and I didn't play one. And then after that season, I went to uh, specialist, uh, ankle specialist Bob Anderson, who uh, is a Carolina's, you know, doctor, and he told me, because I, I told him the story, he started pointing out every spot that I'm hurting and I, I was having pain. I said, yes. And I felt comfortable with him doing my surgery. And when he, you know, pointed out, because I had so many recommendations, I had so many other doctors look at it, and they wasn't telling me the right things that I needed to hear until Bob Anderson did. And I was like, yo, I want you to do my surgery. And then once, you know, I had the surgery done and the Saints found out that everything was messed up in my ankle and I wasn't faking it, because they had said that in the media, which kind of really upset me, mm-hmm. and I was disappointed. And I pulled Sean off to the side and even told him this. It's like, look, man, like I appreciate everything you've done for me, you know, allowing me to be here and you know, giving me opportunity. But I said, you really upset me, and I didn't like that. I said, you got an issue, or if you want to know like what's going on, come to me, come to the source. Don't go to the head trainer, because at the time I was upset with the head trainer. Me and him wasn't seeing eye to eye. But I was pissed off with how I was being treated. So me being treated a certain way with no respect, it pissed me off. And I didn't want to really respond to our head trainer because he think I'm faking it as well. I'm like, yo, I'm hurt. I need surgery. I knew I needed surgery. But they didn't want that. They wanted me back out there. And I was like, I can't. Like, I understand, but I can't. If I could, I would. I sucked it up towards the end of the season. But during the beginning of it, like, I couldn't do it. And they... They didn't believe me. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, I just couldn't. When I saw how that was that year, that really showed me what the business is all about and how we as players are viewed and looked at. And this is one of the reasons why I'm kind of writing a book as well. Um, I'm talking about in my book only my life story. I can't talk about nobody else's story. I can talk about what I saw with other people and other teammates, but I can't talk about their story because it's, you know, I'm talking about myself. It's my story. So I can only give people what I experienced and what I've been through because I've done it. You know, I've been through that league. I was at that level. I've seen what happened to me and what I have to deal with and how, you know, this is a business and how the organization, like how the whole system works with the NFL is just, it's not what most people actually think. They don't see what actually goes on. 
And I heard the same thing, not just in the NFL, but the same thing with the NBA and the MLB. There's a lot of guys who get treated a certain way, and it's, it, it actually sucks. But you as a player, you, you, you know that it is a business, and you have to protect yourself at all times. Pierre Thomas, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty. Um, with what you went through that year, what really hits me, and and I'd love to get more perspective from you on this, is like your agent sitting there, you got torn ligaments, but it's late in the year, and if you can just get on the field the last couple of weeks, man, you get that accrued season, and so. You're weighing the the, the long term finances, but short term, am I good enough to go? Had you not been UDFA, right? You're you're finally for the first time in your career after 2010. I think you were restricted uh, free agent that year, so yeah. they give you one year deal. My point is, you you really haven't gotten that deal that up to that point you had earned. I mean, you had earned it, right? You were you were a bargain based on your production on the field and what you were making. So. Here you are about to enter free agency for the first time and all of this stuff is going on. Do you feel like had you already gotten the good contract, maybe if 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 the unrestricted free agency came a year earlier, maybe you don't play those last couple of games to get that accrued season? Or do you feel like your agent still would have pushed it? Like how different did the financial aspect of it, being that you weren't a guy that had gotten a um deserved payday yet play into all the decisions that happened that year? Well, that injury did mess up some of my finances because after that year, um, you know, I was getting looked at for different teams. The Patriots were coming at me. Um, you know, they, they wanted me as well. Um, oh, Bill Belichick loved you, right? I mean, Belichick yeah. basically tampered. He just came up to you at a preseason game and was like, hey, man, if you ever want to come over here. <laughs> Yeah, he did. He did come at me like that, and you know, it, it was a thought. You know, they got a great organization over there, but you know, the Saints gave me a home. You know, and I, I had to respect that. You know, and I and I fell in love with the Saints, and um, you know, I I didn't want to leave. I wanted them to, you know, the Saints to really come at me with a great offer. Like, yo, you see what I can do? You see what I can bring to the table? I want to stay here. Um, but if you know you're not, you know, respecting my my craft, it's like I got to take it somewhere else. And, you know, with that injury, it, it was a setback because everybody was now – now it gave them the, the way to say, well, we don't know how you're going to respond after this injury. So it kind of did set me back. You know, they didn't know how I was, if I was going to come back, if I was going to be able to come back from this injury. And that's what, you know, these organizations do. That is how the business is. When somebody has an injury, which is I understand because you don't know how an injury will affect some people. Some people bounce back. Some people don't. And, I mean, I can understand their side of concern and worry. But, you know, it, 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 it sucked because it, it was an injury probably could have been handled early and I probably could have got back. Who knows? I don't know. But it, it, that was an injury that, that did kind of mess up my finances. But, you know, I couldn't really, you know, hold on to that. I had to move forward and just say, you know what, try to get – try to get back to where you were at before. But I ended up signing a deal with, uh, you know, an extension with the Saints uh, because, you know, their their offer was better than uh, New England at the time. And, you know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave. Them. You know, I, I had a, a good home here. I was comfortable here. I had a great position. So 
it, I mean, it, 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 it sucks, but you got to move on. Yeah, it, it, it's, I, I can understand, but it's still, I imagine it's tough to like get past the, the personal side of it with the financial side of it because there are parts of the organization you loved, the fan base, like you said, a lot of teammates, and knowing, man, when I'm healthy, like we, we do good things here. I mean, you know, okay. you, you, you set some, uh, some single season records for the team and other things when you were there. I mean, you're, you're in the, the team's Hall of Fame now, so it was, it was a good fit, but the injury side of it is something that, you know, a lot of people don't remember. And I, I've talked to other players, and I can't speak for players I haven't talked to, but I remember Delvin Bro for years, and he, he got to New Orleans shortly after you left. You know, he had, he had a broken leg, but it was misdiagnosed, and they were putting it back out on the field. And he clearly, like you, he knew – man, something's wrong here. And it sort of reached this boiling point where he told me he and Sean, you know, got in a fist fight briefly because he was just constantly pushing them. And maybe that's too far, right? And Delvin, you know, eventually he's not in the league anymore. He's back in the CFL. And then it's it's like, as a player, you have all these emotions bubbling up. So you want to, you're really frustrated. And yet, you, like you said, walking off the field that day of practice, you're like, this might be it. Like, I might, I might be cut today. So you don't really have much of a voice because you don't want to get cut. And then, you know, if you do, there's going to be someone right there willing to take the job. So the, the brutality of football that the fans don't see, I mean, I, I imagine there's probably more than just you and his occasion or, or other players' occasion that you've read about where an injury gets misdiagnosed. And if you're just trying to get that second contract and you're trying to make a living, you're, you don't want to go against the coach and say, I'm not doing this, but you also don't want to hurt yourself further. So for, for me and the listeners, if you could educate us a little bit, what is like when you say the head trainer and then the coach, like is it – Team doctor talks to trainer. Trainer talks to coach. Is the head trainer the, the the doctor making all the personnel decisions? Like, what is the pecking order on the medical side of things when it comes to a football team? I mean, um, <laughs> I said, what I'm going to tell you is like what I'm putting in my book. Um, it goes more into detail, but overall, I mean, it's the team. They look out for their, their organization. They do what they can for the organization. And that means finding a doctor who's going to listen to them and take their money. And how I see it, some of these doctors are saying that, telling the head trainers and the coaches that it's, a, it's an injury, but they think they can play through it. So if that's that little thing right there, they can play through it. That's all the coaches or the trainers need. That's all the organization needs. And I mean, I, I'm not going to say the whole entire organization. There's some people who might not know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. So it might be this little small little circle of the doctor, the head, the head coach, the doctor, and the trainer. You know, the head coach might be saying, hey, you know, is he, you know, 60% able to play? And the doctor like, yeah. And I see, you know, the head coach, okay, that works for me, 60%. Even though he's not 100, he's not 80, he's not 90, he's 60, and that's pretty low percentage. And that's a possibility where his career could be ended. And, you know, you're, you don't even care. It seems like you don't even care as a person that you put this person out there on the field. He's not even 100%. You just want him out there. 
And some, or I believe some organizations do this because of other stories I've heard. They do do this because they don't want to hold on to that player. They want that player to have some nicks and bruises so they don't have to keep paying them later down the road. Because hopefully these nicks and bruises will get worse and worse as times go on and this player can't perform anymore. And now it's like, okay, we saved some money and now we're going to find somebody else. So I think they are in bed together on a certain method, you know, of how they do things. Um, I don't think they allow, they want the players to be fully healthy. They say they do, but I don't think it really is that. This is only my opinion. Um, I'm, I can only say what I see. Um, I'm pretty sure, you know, people will deny it. But, I mean, if you hear from other people and you kind of see things, like, yo, this ain't no conspiracy. This is <laughs> – they're just trying to cover it up. That's all. Um, but, yeah, they, they – I believe they do do that. Like, they say, like, if this player is not – if he's 60%, he can still go out there and play. And they would do anything they can to get you out there. They would probably threaten to take your, your job. And there's nothing as a player that you could do, really, because your career is in their hands. And it really sucks because one thing I did learn as a player in that organization, in that in the NFL, doesn't matter. I don't even think it doesn't really matter what team you play for. You are a piece of product. You are a piece of product that can be replaced, can be bought, can be sold, can do anything. They can do anything with. Once you sign your name over, that's it. It's almost like the army. If you want to say the military, they have your life now. They can do. They can tell you where you need to go. They can do all this. I mean, it 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 is what it is. But you have to know what you're getting yourself into, and you have to be okay. And then the most reason, the one reason why most of us players go along with it is because this is one job that you get paid. A significant amount of money, a nice amount. Even if you're a practice squad player, you still get paid a nice amount to play to to be in you know in in this type of business. You don't get paid. You won't get paid in any other business. I would say like an NFL or NBA player, a baseball player. You won't get. You won't find no job that pays like that. So you're gonna kind of accept the shit that comes to you, but you have to. Know your limits. You gonna have to fight at some point because you know yourself as a as a human being if you can go through it or not. Even though they're gonna push you and they're gonna tell you, and you can possibly lose out on your job. But I mean, that's that's the decision you are gonna have to make, and that's how that business is. They always say it's cutthroat, and it with the NFL, it it is very cutthroat. I can't speak on no other. I can't speak on no other leagues. I can only speak about what I experienced, and it's very cutthroat. And I've seen other guys go through things. I went through some things, but I was blessed, uh, you know, on my end um, to have a good career, you know, and to come out of it on my own, to walk away from this game on my own and when I was ready to. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really – I mean, there's some things I would say that I wish – 
things would have been different. But I have, and overall, I mean, I got to be thankful that I had that opportunity to play in that level in that league because the NFL is a huge league, and I do love the NFL. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to tear them down at all. It's just I'm just going to be aware of some of their faults. It's not to say they can't fix it. They can. They can do whatever they want. I mean, the NFL is the NFL. But I can only exploit what I've seen and what I've been through. Pierre Thomas, our guest. I appreciate the uh, transparency, man. And and I feel like, you know, one of the reasons I was I was thinking about you not that long ago when I reached back out to you was – I don't I don't know the details of, of Michael Thomas's injury with the Saints. I just know that there's been some kind of little back and forth cryptic messages through the media and fans quick to jump on Michael Thomas and maybe he didn't do everything right and the reports out there that well he said he would get a second opinion he didn't and then the Saints are upset because he didn't get the surgery and now he's gonna miss time whatever it might be, but if you're only reading the headlines, because Thomas isn't really going to say much, he might like a tweet here or there and get like sleuths and people on the internet to to try to piece together stuff. But like, it, it's there's there's so much more to these stories, and you know, hearing yours or Delvin's, and, and I know a lot of players have different ones. Um, like you said, it's once you sign that line, you're just you're a product. But if if you walk away, there's so many other people willing to just step right in because of. The reality is the financial side of it, and it's it's kind of that. I, I guess Pierre, if if I may, I almost feel like in your mind you're like, look, I all I want to know is fully understand the risks, right? Like, don't 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 maybe lies too strong of a word, but like if you're if you're saying that okay, I can maybe play through it. Give me a little bit more detail than that. It's okay, you can play through it, but like ninety five percent probably shouldn't. You know, maybe one, but it's just like you said, if you don't know the full risk or if it's just, hey, they said you could do it and that's what they tell the coach, you're kind of, I mean, you're kind of shit out of luck at that point. Basically, because you can't call it, you can't call the shot. <clears throat> I mean, you, you, you're, you're kind of shit out of luck. You still have a, a, a option. You have your, like, you don't have to do what they say, but just know if you don't, you might be, you know, losing out on the job. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, and that's yeah. and that's what a part it sucks because they always say it's hard to get back in the NFL, and it's not a lot. It's very hard to get back in. Once you're in, be happy to be in. And also, if you're in and you can stay with one team, that is a blessing. So I had a blessing to be with the Saints as long as I was because I've seen guys who get traded or go to different teams, get cut after cut and like year after year. And I know that's a lot on them as well, but it, it's just hard to get back in. So, I mean, you, you have to sometimes just keep your mouth quiet and do what you're told. And it sucks. It really does suck. Pierre Thomas, our guest. I'm Scott Prather. It's the great Scott show. I want to circle back real quick. If you don't mind, Pierre, I know um, you said that, you know, you you and, and Coach Payton, work and relationship, it was okay. You had respect for each other, but when the stuff went down in 2010, it was understandably so. It was, it was schism might be too strong of a word, but there was perhaps some animosity there, and, and he didn't apologize at the time, as you said. But you did say that last year he he apologized. I don't, I don't know if you want to share. The next year. 
So he, so the next year he did apologize. It was you didn't say last year. It was the next year after that happened. Yes. Okay. And it was just kind of like I, I was getting bad information, or was it just a simple man? Look, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that I'm. Yeah. It was. It was miscommunication. Gotcha. I, I'm going to say that it was miscommunication because he didn't. He didn't come to the source, which was me. Uh-huh. He was getting his information from Scotty. Now, and I was saying earlier that me and Scotty weren't seeing eye to eye because Scotty is pushing me to a point where he's trying to get me to get back on the field because I think that's what Sean related to him. I think Sean might have told him, hey, Scotty, get him back as quick as you can. Get him back healthy as quick as you can because the head coach can fire Scotty. You know what I mean? So Scotty has pressure to get me back out there on the field because Scotty can lose his job if he doesn't get me healthy. And if the head coach is asking him to get me healthy, he has to do what he has to do. And and he's coming at me a little too aggressive. I'm trying to tell him, like, hey, man, I'm hurting. Like, I can't do it. So me and him, you know, didn't see eye to eye. We had our altercation, even though – and right now I'm, I'm, I don't have no animosity towards Scotty. You know, I, I think he's a good person. And I mean, But I think he, at times that he can fight for himself, you know, when he's doing business with these, co- you know, head coaches and things. But – you know, he, so he's getting backlash, and he's worried about his job probably. And, you know, he's coming at me, and it's like, look, man, I'm not – and he probably went back to Sean and, you know, told Sean one thing, and Sean believed it, but Sean never, you know, followed up with me. And then, you know, I think communication got mixed up, and that's when I had to pull Sean to the side. Uh, because I remember this in the media that, that, you know, they said that I was faking. I remember seeing, hearing that and seeing it. It was just like – that was a low blow to me. I was like, come on, man. All the things that I've been through and I've showed you that I can do, and now you say I'm faking it? I, that, that was so like a slap in the face to me. And, you know, I, I was disappointed in Sean for even saying that and mentioning it. And I told, pulled him to the side and just had to have a talk with him. And he was like, well, look, man, I was going to hear what I'm hearing by Scotty. And I was like, you know, I didn't talk to you, and you're right. You know, we had a good conversation, and, you know, we left out on a good note after that conversation. And then that next year, that following year, He's, after he's seen that, you know, I did have surgery and all this stuff, he was like, look, I have to. And he said in front of the team. He apologized in front of the team, and I appreciated that. Yeah, I, I imagine that, yeah, that that's, well, that's good. And I, I'm sure that that, that meant a lot. Um, unfortunately, you know, you, it, it affected your contract in some ways. But just to have it out there and, and have that communication maybe made it a little easier to move on. This is Pierre Thomas, our conversation with the New Orleans Saints Hall of Famer. What's Pierre doing today? We'll get a little bit more into that. You heard him reference a book, one of several things he's doing. We'll dig into that, life after football, and maybe why he doesn't watch it a ton anymore. We're going to get into that as well. Don't go anywhere. The conversation with Pierre Thomas continues right here on The Great Scott Show right after this. Welcome back into the show, everybody. I'm Scott Prather at ESPN 1420.com. Pierre Thomas on the line with us. The uh, Saints Hall of Famer, the guy who is uh, the best screen running back of all time. That's just my humble opinion. Um, And a guy who, you know, since his playing days ended, we're going on, I don't know, six, maybe six years now, uh, Pierre. So is there a a part of you that misses it at all? Or is that maybe why you don't watch much sports? Or is is there the other part of you, you know, maybe it's because of some of the things we were talking about earlier that – you don't really, you don't really miss football. What, what is your relationship like with football today? Um, I don't. It's not to say I don't love football. I still love football. Football is always going to be a love in my heart. Um, 
But I don't watch it. Um, I close that chapter. It's not to say I don't watch it often. I do watch games here and there with friends. I go out, you know, go out to eat or, you know, go to a bar, have a drink and watch, you know, a game with some of my buddies. Now, I'll, I'll do that time to time, but, I mean, I don't go on ESPN or, you know, any other spot of sports news and catch up on what on certain teams. I mean, I do follow, you know, New Orleans on social media just to try to keep myself updated with some of my teammates because they talk about football a lot. And they knew, even even playing sometimes, I don't keep up. You know, I didn't keep up when I was even playing because sports, I was just happy to play them. You know, I was a competitor. I love to play sports. I mean, and I love the, the game, the camaraderie. The one thing I do miss uh, about football is, you know, my teammates, being around, being in the locker room, joking around with the guys, having fun, you know, and also game days. Like, I would say I do miss that, you know, being in the fans, hearing the fans screaming and yelling and, you know, we all out there having a great time. Like, I, that, those are moments that I miss. But, you know, everything else, no. Um, but now, like, that I'm retired, I closed that chapter, and now it's more of, you know, I took the time off to see, what else am I good at in this world? What else can I do? What else can I, you know, give to this world and try to improve and do that at a, at a high level as well? Since I did, you know, I was at one stage of a high level, level you know, but that chapter is close. And long to actually try to, you know, it didn't take me long to actually try to figure that out. I took maybe two months of, it was like regular off season, Two months of, you know, just relaxing after I got done in 2015. When I was, that was my last year. I took uh, two months off, and I just didn't do anything, just relaxed, traveled, you know, and did what I wanted to do. Um, but after that, you know, I started going through, you know, some old stuff, old boxes that I had saved up, you know, uh, from when I was in New Orleans. And it was like fan mail and I started responding to these mails, these letters, and this idea came to me where, I, I mean, not too long ago, it, it was showcased, you know, in New Orleans. And I put it out there, you know, in social media where I went to go surprise some of these fans. And as I was reading these letters, you know, it, it, it just got to me like some of these fans took the time out to write or, you know, type or whatever it was to express their story and their feelings to me. I thought that was special, and I wanted to do something special for fans. So I surprised a, a, a certain amount of people um, in person and gave them, you know, memorabilia. I took a picture with them, got a chance to know their story, or hear their story, and how they became fans, and showed them the Super Bowl ring. And I thought that was a special thing that I did, and you know, and, and I love doing that. But it also reminded me, like, what else can I do? And I started saying, you know, what about your life? Like, what have you been through? What are you trying to do? What did you love, you know, growing up? And as I'm just asking myself all these questions, I said, well, look, man, you got a story here because I've been through a lot in my life. And I said, well, not, why not just tell your story? I wish when I was younger I had a journal. I kept up with a journal, but I didn't. And thank God, you know, um, to this day I can still remember my past. Uh, my mind is not messed up from football, <clears throat> you know, knock on wood and, you know, um, but I can remember my past and how I was when I was a little kid and growing up to where I'm at now and all the things that I learned 
throughout my journey of my life. And that made me just start writing. And the book of uh, the title of my book is called The Life I Didn't See Coming. Because at a young age, you know, I, I thought, we all think this, men or women, we kind of know what we want to do when we get older. But some of us go in that direction, some of us don't. You know what I mean? We just don't know. So we don't know what life is going to bring to us. We don't know what life is going to, how we're going to act. Are we going to be a nice person? Are we going to be a mean person? Are we going to be a generous? Like we don't know how we're going to be when we get older. And uh, I've been through a lot of things. I've been through ups and down moments. I'm not perfect. I know I'm not. But I can work on, you know, perfection and try to be the best person out here that I can be. And as I was writing, you know, other ideas of what I wanted to do start to come to play. And I started putting things together. So when you ask me what am I doing after football, I'm writing a book. I'm working on two apps that came to mind. Um, I, got, I just started my carpentry business and real estate business this year, well, kind of during uh, COVID, the pandemic last year, 2020, but everything was moving slow. But I got everything now, this year, up and running. And now that's what I'm doing. I'm getting the things that I found that I can do, that I enjoy doing. I, I see that carpentry is very therapeutic because of, some fans have noticed that on my social media, my Instagram, that I've been posting a lot of projects that I created and I built. And this, um, I bought a place here in Chicago, another place, and this was like my project, this place here was my project to see if I can do carpentry and if I can build on my own. You know, this was basically an empty shell, and I created, you know, my bed. I created a desk. I created two couches, a bar, a fire pit, um, a table, three tables. Like, I did all of this on my own and just, you know, just put myself out there at least trying, and I found out that I have, you know, a, a niche for it. So I – you know, starting my own business now, and I'm enjoying it, and that's what I love doing, and I want to share, and with my carpentry business, I'm I'm building and creating products that I love building, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell them on my website, and if people love my products, I mean, they have the opportunity to buy them. You know, this is this uh, inspiration for me because this is a chance where it's something that I found another love for, and I really do like, you know, creating. I feel like I'm a creative person. And me writing this book gives me a chance to open my mind and express myself and, you know, let others know, like, that journey of a lifestyle and how, you know, that, that, that NFL level, how that world is, basically. You know, it's not the glam and glory that you see on the outside. There's a little ugliness or a lot of ugliness on the inside, and a lot of people just don't realize that. Beer Thomas, our guest. The life I didn't see coming. Uh, once, once that thing is written and published, Pierre, I'll, I'll be one of the first ones to buy a copy and uh, share it with uh, anybody. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them to buy it too. So you know, you get the proceeds. I won't just pass it around. But, um, so here's a you know a question about post football, and it's it's good to hear that that's going well. And why do you think a lot of players really struggle? Post career, not all, but but I've I've talked to enough athletes and have heard enough stories to know it's it's a real you know some some slide right into life after football others, you know they battle depression. Why do you think some struggle in 
And did you struggle for a little while, or was was that transition and that I guess thinking period that you just described was it was it easy? Might not be the right word, but was it kind of just basic? I guess, or I, I can't really for think the, of the right word. Transition. It okay. Was, for me, it was a smooth transition. But I'm gonna go to your question of why other guys. Um, I have talks with some guys who played in the league, and they said they struggled. Yeah, they struggled. I, I would say they mostly struggled because of. They were on a routine, you know. They had a routine, and they, had, they loved the excitement. They loved football. It's like well, some guys struggle is because their only thought was football. Their only love was football. They're, that's what they dreamed about. That's what they loved. That's what, only what they put their mind into. They probably didn't think about anything else. Not to say they can't think about anything else or see, like, what else they can do in this world. They just didn't – it just never came to – you know, to the to the front of their mind, and you know, they just was just stuck on that, and they probably never gave them ch- chances themselves a chance to try to learn anything else. But the one thing for me that allows me to have a, a smooth transition from you know post football was actually just rewriting me writing about who I who I am, like when I was a little kid, what I loved doing. Like I started from the beginning when I was a little kid, what I used to get into, what I used to love doing. And I talked about sports. And then as I, you know, went on, I found out technology was the future. I started to see AOL, you know, you got the dial tone, you know, everybody, you got the chat rooms, you got the computers, you got all these different computers coming out. And I was like, this is the future. As a kid, I started to see that. And I love video games as well. You know, my mother always put me around video games because she didn't want me in the streets. Because, you know, the, like I said, the neighborhood, wasn't as bad, but, I mean, you had your – you can be easily, you know, uh, grasped into that lifestyle if somebody out there in the, in the world catches you, you know, like a lost kid. They're like, well, let me show you this lifestyle. And you, you know, you can be into that and you get into these gangs and, you know, things can go a different way. But my mom, she she put video games, you know, in, in, my, in front of me, you know. And, you know, I love playing video games and I got the technology, so I start to see, like, that was another future of mine and now – you know, as I'm an adult, I, tri- I went back into that mindset. And I remember those times. I remember what, you know, driven me, which things that I liked doing, even though sports was another thing. Was like I love competing. Um, that helped me transition into where I'm at now, just me writing about all that. So I would really encourage other players, if you lost and you don't, you can't, and it's hard for you to try to transition, Write, write about your life. Write, write about when you were young, what other things that you loved doing, what, you know, what you felt passionate about, what made you happy, you know, what made you excited to work on things or do things or learn about. Like, write about that. Write about your life because I think if you write, the more you write and, and kind of remember, if you can't remember, you will find your path. You will find something new that you want to get into and that you can enjoy doing. And I wouldn't just say that's just for any – I wouldn't say that's just for athletes. I would say that's just for anybody in life in general. If you really – I found that writing – because I didn't – growing up, I, I mean, especially in school, I remember all these classes, these writing classes I used to take and, you know, used to write. And I used to – I hated writing. Freaking hated writing. I didn't, I didn't like writing. I'm like, why I write so much? But here I am, writing a book, and I found out – this has been very therapeutic and I'm learning so much. And I, I mean, just about myself as well, because we all need to self-evaluate. We always need to self, 
you know, we are, we always need to look at ourselves and see who we are as a person. And the perfect way to do that is writing your story, writing who you are as a person. And you'll find so much and who you are, how you were, how you acted, how you treated others, what you love, what you want to do. You know what I mean? It, it, it'll start to show you what you, what your future is now and where you, what direction you want to go into. Writing in carpentry. But rather you're, whether you're writing to, you know, write a book or whether you're writing just to journal and, and do some self-therapy, it's uh, the Pierre Thomas recommendation and, and how it's been a smooth transition for him post-football. You mentioned uh, video games when you were a kid. You know, you're only a few years younger than me. What, was it Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis? What was the system when you were really young? Oh, I had them all. <laughs> you had them. See, I, 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 was, I, was a, I was a gamer, too, as a kid. Um, and... Uh, you know, as an adult, I don't have as much time as I used to now with three young kids. But, um, you know, now my, my son's at that age where he likes to play, so we'll play together. But video games are the best, man. But back in the day, Tecmo Super Bowl, that was – that was I'll, I'll still – I'll rock anybody. I mean, if, if you ever want to – I mean, bring it. Just give me an old Nintendo, hook it up, let's go. Right, Tecmo is the, the thing. It was unfair whoever got the Raiders because Bo, you couldn't tackle. No. It was just too fast. You run, no. a whole, you run around the whole field. And nobody's going to tap the Bo Jackson. No, nobody. Absolutely oh, no. I, I would say I had every system. Like, I, I can start. I had a TurboGrafx-16. I don't yeah. even know if people remember that. I remember that one. TurboGrafx. Huh? I remember TurboGrafx. And, like, be, because they didn't have any, like, uh, copyright with football, their football game was just, like, the buzzards and the mutants. You know, it was just these kind of plug-and-play yeah. play. But back <laughs> then, man, that was, like... You know, the graphics were, were high-tech. You didn't care that it wasn't Pierre Thomas, the running back, that it was, no. you know, that it was uh, a puke face or whatever ridiculous names they would give him. You just wanted to play games back then. I loved it. And just, and just thinking about the graphics and the technology back then to right. now where we're at is just unbelievable. <laughs> But I, it's totally unbelievable. But the gameplay was still fun. It, it, at some point, it's almost like I was talking to someone the other day. They're talking about playing Madden, and I know it's still really popular. I'm like, man, at some point though, the graphics just got so good that like that wasn't a story anymore. So now you're just trying to, you know, figure out how can we make the gameplay a little more interesting because the graphics themselves now, that's really not a big thing because everybody's graphics are so good, but. Back then, you had to make a game fun, but if you did, man, you could just sit around for hours playing. Oh, definitely. You know, when you had Super Nintendo, you had uh, 007. Everybody used to play that one. That was a good game. Goldeneye on the old 64. Well, Pierre, man, I've I've kept you way too long, but I um, always appreciate this, man. And, and when that book's ready, you uh, you got my contact info, man. You know, you got a seat here to come on and promote it, talk about it, and um, good luck with everything. My final question for you, you mentioned a little while ago about, you know, responding to fans that had written you and, and coming back to New Orleans for that. Um, when you're in Chicago, do you ever get recognized? And, you know, I know that's where you live. And when you're in New Orleans, do you, do you still get recognized a lot more when you're there? Like, what is, how often does someone say, hey, I, I recognize you. You used to play football, right? Uh, here in Chicago, I don't get recognized as much in New Orleans, but I do get recognized here in Chicago by certain, uh, you know, football fans. You know, you got a lot of people out here who just love football, and they remember almost every player. I hear a couple of people say, oh, aren't you Pierre Thomas? And it, it shocks me, you know, especially being here in Chicago because I didn't play here. But, you know, I, I went to school here and, you know, went to Urbana-Champaign, not too far from, you know, Chicago. 
But I have a few people who recognize me here. And uh, actually here in Chicago, we have a Saints bar. We have a Saints bar in Chicago. And I, I sometimes with some buddies, I'll go to there. I'll go there. It's called Frontier. I'll go there and watch, you know, some of the Saints games. And, you know, they, they look out. You know, they, they look out there. And they get a lot. Of, and I did not know that it was that many Saints fans in Chicago. Because when I went there, it was just like, it, it was a, a weird feeling because I was like, oh, man, I just stepped in a, a pen full of Saints fans, you know, like a <laughs> playpen. And they're like, I'm about to come in here and I know I'm about to get bombarded. But, no, it was all love. You know, the people are great. You know, they, they enjoyed me being there. And, you know, they, they, they respected my privacy. You know, but I, I, I was having a good time. And I was like, you know what, I know I'm going here, so I want to take pictures. I want to indulge in all of this, and I want to be a part of this. You know, I just hope it doesn't get too crazy where, you know, you got a drunk fan all over you and spilling drinks on you. I just That's hope it didn't weird. get like that, and it, which it didn't. You know, it was a great environment. But um, but I was just shocked at how many people, uh, how many Saints fans was in Chicago. But in New Orleans, I mean, I go out there, and, yeah, I still get recognized. I still get people, but they still are unsure. They're like, are you Pierre? And sometimes I mess with people. I said, no, I'm his twin brother, Charles, because a lot of people don't know my first name <laughs> is Charles. Uh, I go by my middle name a lot because I have the same name as my father, and he was always Charles, and he always called me Pierre in the household. And um, <laughs> But I used to tell people, no, I'm his twin brother, Charles. And some people believe me, but I, I tell them I'm just messing with them. But, yes, I, I, I would you say? If you're ever in a rush, you just and you, you really you can't talk to him. You just say no, but I get that a lot, and then you just keep rolling. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes I, I I'm not I can't really I tell people who the truth. I can't really say I'm not. It does it doesn't sit well with me if I do say that to people. Even though I know I'm in a rush, I'll tell them like, yeah, I am, but I gotta go. I'm sorry. I'll tell them that but i just I, I would never send them off i would just play with them and then let them know like no i'm just messing with you but i could never just sit there and like tell them off and just keep that going you know what i mean just tell them like, oh that's not me but i gotta so I'll, I'll let them know i am and if i if i do gotta rush i just ask them if they can respect you know i gotta go but i'm always friendly i'm always you know friendly to talk to friendly to approach but as long as you approach the, the correct way as a person uh just like to anybody else um but i mean i i, I really enjoy because the thing is is that I it's a blessing just for people to appreciate what you've done. Especially in their community in their city. So I mean New Orleans is my second home. You know, I love New Orleans. I love the people in New Orleans. And you know, so laid back, so, you know, easy to talk to and just be around and hang out. You know, they're not uppity. They don't think they're the best fans out there. They just they just act like you know, just act like them and support their team. And that's one thing I love about New Orleans. It's very homey. And I, me coming from Chicago and going to another state, another city that I have, I have no family members, had no friends, and just to be open arms, not only by the community, not only by the organization, but also by the community. I mean, to me, that, that, just, hit, that just hit home with me. I said, you know what, this is going to be my team. This is going to be my, new, my second home. That's awesome, man. Well, you're you're undoubtedly one of the most beloved players of franchise history, and I can say that with a straight face because I I've interacted with Saints fans my whole life, and uh, you know there's a big Saints following in South Louisiana and Lafayette, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, all over the place. But it it spans out farther, like you said, the uh, the bar in Chicago, yeah. the Saints bar. But you're one of those, you know. We we got an old 
23 jersey I think maybe my nephew wore a long time ago and it's got Thomas on the back and that thing's gotten passed on from nephews to nieces and now my youngest wears it on game day so um you go to a Saints game on a Sunday you know even if I'm in the press box looking down or whatever you still see 23s and some of them say Lattimore on the back but you know what there's still a bunch that (laughs) there's still a bunch that say Thomas on the back so this has been great man I noticed that, yeah, Lance was just there not too long ago because I know he's working with, you know, the Saints down Lance there. Moore, yeah. um, and he said, yeah, man, some, he's like, I see some Pierre Thomas jerseys in out here, man. I said, yes, the name is still living on, so I appreciate that. And I'm also happy that, you know, they gave, you know, Lattimore the 23 because he's a great player as well. So I'm, I'm glad a, another good player got a chance to wear that number and, you know, that, that – that athleticism or the, the creativity and, and you know, that a, create, a great player carries that same number on because, I mean, that's not my number, but I'm glad I did receive that number because I don't know if I told you this story, um, but I never asked for that number, and it was like a blessing. Uh, I think it was meant to be. Uh, God kind of made this happen. But in high school, I was number 20, and in college, you know, it goes by the level, high school, college, pros. So in high school, I was 20. College, I was 30. You take the first two numbers and you put them together. That's it. And then, you know, from there, you, you just got to make the team, right, even though you're a long shot and make sure that you don't. I just I, – I, I would hate to think of what would have happened if you had just left, left the hotel – on cut day and was like, you know, halfway back to Chicago and Greg McMahon calls. He's like, Pierre, where the hell are you, man? It's opening day. <laughs> like, <I'm in> Chicago. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah it, that would have been, been a funny story right there. As, lo- as long as they didn't like be like, well, this guy's not taking it serious, you know. But, uh, yeah, players, player, if anyone missed the beginning of the conversation, you know, when you when you get cut, they let you know. When you don't get cut and you're on the 53, they don't call you. You just show up to work the next day. But no one tell Pierre, so he – He's packing up his stuff and then gets, you know, someone saying, man, what, I mean, congrats. You're like, wait, what? I, um, I didn't get the memo. I'm we glad it, the memo. It, it all worked out, man. And uh, 23, yeah. 23 was the right one. Well, yeah. Appreciate it, man. This has been great. Um, really appreciate the time. And, and I know a lot of fans that don't hear this live, they, they listen to it after the fact online, on demand. And when we talked a couple years ago, it was one of our most listened to interviews ever that's aired on the station. So, the Saints fans are out there, man, and um, they're listening to this. And like I said, when that book comes out, The Life I Didn't See Coming, we'll, uh, we'll be promoting that and, and talking to you about it. Anything else you, you want to get off your chest or plug before we let you run, man? I've kept you, I've kept you long enough. Uh, uh, well, yeah, on my website, you can go to um, pierrethomas.com. I mean, it will show you everything and give you a little background on my bio. I'm still working on it. It's still kind of under construction. But on my, my uh, website, pierrethomas.com, it will basically direct you into all the things I'm involved in, which is investments, my business, um, bios, and little updates of what I'm, what I'm doing and how you can reach me and, you know, get to me if you need to for any events or anything like that. So you can visit my website, and it will direct you to everything that I'm involved in. All right, and then I know the Instagram handle, the Twitter handle. I know you're not as active on Twitter, but it's uh, at Pierre underscore Thomas, and uh, some good stuff up there on Instagram. Like when yeah, somebody be better with that. Hey man, <laughs> that 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 shot of you on the golf course whenever you were going back to your car, oh. and they had that fake snake on the oh. ground, and it scared you out of your shoes. I I'm not gonna lie, man. I laughed really hard. 
Yeah, that was a good one. I was not prepared for which which really got me and I told him the guy my my buddy that, that did it was really sold it was the, the 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 noise that he was yelling, the oh 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 like the watch out. That's what really sold it because I I knew I, I stepped on something and but I looked down and as I'm hearing him say oh oh when somebody yells like that, that means like watch out or look out or something is not right. You know what I mean? When somebody makes noise on Hey, watch out. Some people yell it, but other people say, oh, oh, oh. And that shows you, like, yo, be aware because something is not right. And hearing that, and then I looked down, and all I see was, like, a snake figure. That's when I jumped up, and I was like, okay, I got to get out of here. Dude, I I just, uh, Reggie Bush is, like, the first comment. You know, Reggie's like, Pierre, you look young over there again, Mr. High Step, because you, I mean, you jumped. I mean, your ankle looked good on that jump here. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, Bob Anderson did a great job getting me back. So, hey, I still got it, but uh, I, I'm not going to use it no more. I'm, I'm using it to the other, for other things. That's right, man. Carpentry work and everything else. Man, all the best, brother. This has been great. And uh, to you and your family, man, all future endeavors, we appreciate it. And like I said, when that book's out, we'll, uh, we'll have you on again. Uh, thank you for having me, Scott. That is the great Pierre Thomas, New Orleans Saints Hall of Famer. I'm Scott Prather. It's ESPN 1420, ESPN.